course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com. Following program, produced by Magic Matt Allen, for lack of anything more interesting to do. May I, uh... Yeah. May I mention to you, Burl, that I saw the movie The Saint last night? Oh, the more recent one? No. The older one. <laughs> Val Kilmer? Mm-hmm. That's Is it just me, or did that suck? It did. Yes. I mean, it sucked, right? The music was good. Yeah, right. It was it was good music. They had a little Duran Duran there, mm-hmm. and and I forget, uh, oh, God, what was the, one of my favorite songs they played a little piece of. And Elizabeth Shoot, no chemistry. But I think it was Val Kilmer's fault. I think that guy's a nutbag. <laughs> yes, he came up with those strange costumes and all that stuff. But he's a nutbag. You know, well, talk about a, a, a movie that wasn't cohesive in any way. And if you wanted to learn about The Saint, I don't think that's the way to do that's it. That's why you Leslie Charters' name isn't on the film. Oh, is that right? He said, he said no way, right? His wife, his uh, yeah. widow did, yeah. Oh, what you, was what bad. you may or may not know about Val Kilmer, Matt, is that uh, uh, Lori Downey Jr.'s daughter, along with my daughter and uh, uh, Marty's daughter, all went to uh, high school. You mean at that stupid art school? That's exactly. terrible, terrible. Don't, please, don't even start with that. Yeah, they're yeah. long gone, long after it, and they've gotten great educations, and they're doing well, all well, of them. So they so they got the great educations after they left. Well, much, much, much after they left. <laughs> yeah, right. they, Years, they, the, the good news is that they ran out of their uh, thirsting for an education. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and they got one. They, they all did. So they all did well. But but the um, there, there was a, a teacher there uh, named Brad Copen, a nice guy, really good guy. Right. Yeah. You know, there's the, the, anyway. the one arts teacher. Best friend, Val Kilmer. Oh, no. That yes. tells you a lot. Wait, and you say that he's a good guy. But he's a good guy. No, incorrect. If Val Kilmer <laughs> is your best friend, you have a screw loose. By the way, my publicist managed Val Kilmer's publicity for about three years. We're talking about uh, he gave, he uh, gave Mike me, Venema? He gave, Venema gave me yeah. inside dirt when I still thought oh. that Kilmer was sane. And then I oh, watched no. this movie, and I realized there is no Val Kilmer there. Oh, please. And Oliver right? Stone, you know, Oliver Stone's a He didn't exist. Oliver Stone is an acquaintance, and then the guys that made his movies uh, are, are friends of mine. They made The Doors. Well, anyway, uh, Burl Bear, I, you're, yeah. a, you're an aficionado of the Saint. The oh, series. Yes. And, uh, and I wrote the book, uh, the adaptation of the screenplay. And and so I, I did learn a little something. I learned where the Saint moniker came from, from that movie. I you know I had That's no- not even accurate in any way. Is that right? No, they made all that crap up. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. There was no origin story for the saint at any time. That movie, you know, if you get it like one to five stars, it's maybe a star and a half. But I was compelled to watch the entire thing because Elizabeth Shue, I've always been fascinated with her. With her sexuality. She's got a certain something about her. She she certainly does. But with Kilmer, (laughs) could you... Could you, you know, the audience says, and I would love to interview Elizabeth Shue about Kilmer. And if she would, you know, get a little drunky drunk, 
I bet she'd have a few choice things to say about that that weird tree hugger. The uh, director of uh, the uh, oh, with God. the ti- lions and tigers and bears. Oh, oh my. my! Yeah, yeah. Uh, he said he would not cast Val Kilmer if he was doing the Val Kilmer story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, this just I, it was one of those last minute things. It's you know, I, I got all my work done, all editing, all stuff, so I'm feeling good. I'm looking for a good movie to watch. Instead, instead, <laughs> it was the saint you should have gone 20 to see, years ago should have gone to see death of style no that would mean that i'd have to get in the car mm-hmm. yeah. oh i see yeah. i signed right. a contract that said i would not say anything negative about the film for x number of years but right. that's past now so. <laughs> but matt it's funny that you should bring this up on today's show especially uh, talking about burl and his relationship with the saint because today's show is about Burl mm-hmm. and his relationship to everything. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. So, so it, uh, the br- uh, bridging is uh, very easy for me. Thank well, you. Break a leg. Yes. Burl. Yes. Why? Why is there no guest today? Why is it that you did not do your homework and do your preparation, and the only guest that you could come up with is you? Well, I'll tell you how it happened, Howard. <clears throat> it's that Passover Easter weekend, and people are breaking bread and baking matzahs. And no one wanted anything to do with us. <laughs> well, uh, what what about the Goyim? No, no. The Goyim, the Goyim, we're getting ready for Easter. You killed baby Jesus. Yeah, we did. Yeah, that's Jews get beat up on Easter. I did. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to bring a box of matzah, Mark. Oh. Uh, oh, I, I, you I forgot something. I thought you were going to bring it. No. 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 The more, the merrier. Frank. That's close enough. I think it's the other way around. Just like a Jew laying the blame on someone else. (laughs) Exactly right. Yeah, damn right. And no, no, the Jews take, we blame ourselves and then... then, (laughs) then, Leave everybody in the dust. Oh, please. I'm going to have a a, a moment tonight where I'm guilty that I even said something to you about it. (laughs) But we're here to talk about Burl Bear for no good reason other than... That I was the only author who was available, and I was just on Dan Zupanski's show this week, and so I figured, well, I'll rate his show Here, and get Here's the guest. thing, okay? Here's that, That's funny, but here's... Why is it that I, I don't do that show? You know, <laughs> because you haven't done anything in true crime except host this brilliant program. And well, I, I might add. Yes, very well. And Dan knows that. Yeah. And I've gotten off his back the last two, three years. Yeah. You used to be relentless. Get, it was like yeah. the frog he, and the scorpion. But he knew I was kidding the whole time. Yes, he... He, yeah, he always did it. He said nice things about the show. The show, yeah. but not me. And Thank he doesn't want me on his show. Yeah. Well, so for, I uh, uh, did Dan Zapansky's show. I've talked to him. I've talked to him on this show. Thank you. Yeah. And I thought that that went well. Yes. There was well, no swearing, no beating. No, I talked to him about Winnipeg, where he lives, and... I know the I know the peg, <laughs> the peg. Well, yeah. close enough to call the peg. That's the peg. Yeah, or Portage in Maine. He knows I know about that. Coldest yeah. corner in the world. But let's talk about Burl Bear. Let's talk about Burl Bear. Let's talk about the saint because I Matt, have a Matt, Matt brought it up. <laughs> yes. Matt brought up the saint, and that's we'll come around to uh, uh, to Broken Dell. You can come around to anything you want. Okay, but. You, you have been alluding for a long time, and you've talked about it for years, your relationship with the saint. But the genesis of it. Very simple. When I was about 15, 16 years old, which is the perfect time to be introduced to the character of Simon Templer, my friend David Benefield handed me a book called The Saint in New York. He said, read this, it's great. I read it, and it was a little too dark for me, so he gave me another one called Saint's Getaway, my favorite saint book. 
In fact, in the recent edition, it has a forward by me in the latest uh, <laughs> Oh, there you go. Hey, this is my favorite. <laughs> very clever, very clever book. And uh, that was more my style. And uh, so I became an ardent fan of the Saint. They had Saint paperback books coming out. They had they were running the old movies on TV with George Saunders. They had Roger Moore series, and then the Ian Ogilvy. But you're still you're still a, a 16, 17, or, or now you're in your twenties. Yeah, is that right? If you're right, not right this minute. No, I, I believe me. <laughs> Nobody knows better than me that yeah. you're not in your twenties. Right, but but I'm sitting here looking to an old Jew, folks. Yeah, <laughs> not lipless old Jew at that. Yeah. But but we're, we're we're tracking your love of the saint, mm. and when you get up to Roger Moore and, and you yeah. know Ogilvy, now you're in your twenties. Yeah. Then Simon Dutton. Okay. Andrew Clark. Okay. When did you take it on as a profession and why? Oh, I took it on as a profession because Lee Goldberg, my nephew and I, were writing an article for Video Review Magazine about uh, uh, Maverick, actually. And uh, I proposed doing an article about the uh, Saint movies. You know, because they were running a lot on, you know, TLC or TMC, whatever it's called. And... Lee, without me knowing, submitted it as a book proposal to McFarlane and Company Publishers, and I received a contract in the mail that I wasn't expecting, that was a letter, cover letter, saying, here's the contract for your book, The Saint of Complete History. Please deliver it in like a year, year and a half. So I did. Was there a number on that on that uh, contract, or it was a typical of you, you didn't care? Oh, I was just shocked. Yeah, I, I understand. <laughs> uh, McFarland, uh, I still get checks in the mail from McFarland, bless their hearts, because the mm -hmm. book still sells. Bless their hearts. Yeah, that's what we want. Did, <laughs> did you not win? Uh, yes, I did. I won the Edgar Award, uh, which is the <laughs> accolade for the Mystery Writers of America for that, my is first that, book, uh, All Downhill Edgar from Hoover? There. <laughs> like Aldo Ray. So that's the, the the Edgar Award is is of greater prominence and stature and stature uh, than the uh, than the Razzie. Uh, it's debatable. <laughs> I say yeah, probably. Okay. Uh, when uh, Quentin Tarantino was on uh, Johnny Carson show, he had just won the uh, the Edgar, and he said it meant more to him than uh, the other awards because of the company of people who... I guess, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, when they, they, they're putting me in the WERS Hall of Fame in June, which is uh, at my college, I feel better about that than most anything I've done. Yeah, yeah. there's something special about it. Yeah, so that happens. You got Agatha Christie and Mickey Spillane and all these greats in there, and me, <laughs> and well, I. Well, there's that, yeah. yeah. I've got the same kind of list of people, not the same list, but... yeah. Of, of, of people of prominence and then me. Yeah. Yeah. I've, well, I found that I was nominated. I felt like I was the Angela Bassett nomination. That's for people old enough to remember when Angela Bassett was nominated. <coughs> I didn't know she that was That was nominated. an obscure reference there. No, she's got a series now on television. Yeah, but at that time, she was kind of a newbie. Yeah. Um, I'd had... When I'd, she played Tina Turner. What's well, love got to do with it? Yeah, she <laughs> played it well. Yes, she played yeah. Tina well. So was it Larry Fishburne? Is uh, yep. yeah. Lawrence, I believe. Right? Yeah, Lawrence. Thank yeah, you. We don't call him Larry anymore. No, he's big, big time now. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I call I call LL Cool J Todd. And then, at that, what point does he smack you? He turns around pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Todd. He answers to it right, right quick. I'll tell you that. He's done well. Uh, yeah, uh, Todd. Yeah. Todd's done real well. I figured I had no chance of getting this thing. I almost didn't go back to New York. 
for the award ceremony because it costs money to go to New York from Walla Walla, Washington. Wow, who would have thought? Who would have thought? Yeah. You got so it. you went from Walla Walla to New York, New York. Yeah. yeah. On a plane, plane, plane. Yeah. yeah there you go. And you're Frank, Frank, Frank. So, so, so you got the. So then, the second book was just a natural then. Yeah. Well, as soon as I won the Edgar, everyone's crawling all over me, saying, "Oh, you're hi. We're your new publisher." <laughs> Is that what happened? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, when did you get? Did Wild Blue come in at that point? No, or? Wild Blue is very recent. That's just, what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. No, I uh, I did a true crime book, Man Overboard, for Northwest Publishing, uh, and they went to prison. Now, I have to ask you why. Okay. Uh, I did Man Overboard. They paid me good money for that. Uh, they almost published the book with two chapters missing, but I caught that. Uh, <laughs> the next yeah, book... Talk about that for a second. How did, how, how did that happen, and how did you catch it? Well, they sent you the page proofs, right? And I'm reading the book, and there's chapters missing. Also, anytime someone says, oh, my God, God is with a small g. Right. So I called up the editor and said, which one of the lesser-known deities is my character addressing? <laughs> well, we can't blaspheme the, the name of the Lord by putting a capital G on it. I suggest you can. And while you're at it, you can take out the paragraph that you wrote and put in my book that I didn't write. Whoa. Mm, stylistically, was not consistent. What, what was that about? About something that he shouldn't have done. <laughs> so we got the proper number of chapters in there, but they still published the uncorrected page proofs at the wrong files to the printer. Uh, so anyway, the next book. How did, how, did, how did they, but the jail part? Oh, the jail part. Uh, allegedly, the uh, president of the uh, corporation and his son cashed numerous millions of dollars worth of company checks at the money tree in the mall paying $275,000 in check cashing fees basically embezzling from their own company allegedly Alleged. but here's what went down did, well, did they get arrested and convicted? yeah you don't have to say allegedly anymore well just in case I have the story wrong Okay. I don't want them suing me uh, I had a second book contract with them for the Alaska mail bomb conspiracy called Hidden Words. I got a check, and then I didn't get a check, and next month I didn't get a check again, and again, and again. And the U.S. Postal Inspectors called me up, this is about them, and they said, how's that book coming? I said, I'm not getting paid. I said, hold on. They raided the offices. <laughs> no U.S. Kidding. Postal Inspectors raided the offices of Northwest Publishing. How, how would they have known that this is something? That they weren't getting paid. The, that the, the, the postal people would know. How would they know that you're not getting paid? I told them. No, that's a good reason. <laughs> that's yep. a good reason. They yeah. called me up. How's the book coming, Burl? And I so said, you told them that you were writing a book in conversation. How's it oh, I, they were wonderful. U.S. Uh -huh. Postal. I mean, people don't realize they are beyond the FBI in terms of their lab work, their you know the, what they have to work with. Is that right? Uh, yeah. The you know, like the FBI will go give stuff to them. So how they nail these guys? Uh, by raiding their offices and taking all their financial records and where did the money go and why aren't people getting paid? So they can do that? Mm-hmm. If they mail something, like these contracts and whatever... It's their jurisdiction. They have... They're the people who got the Unabomber. They also... Uh, Talk to me about that. How, how did they get the Unabomber? I don't know. That's a good, uh, good answer. Good old-fashioned legwork. Yeah, I know that part. There's no question I know that part, it's, but it's... What was the twist? That that's what I'm looking for. The twist was his brother realizing that's who they were talking about, and he went to the FBI. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, another one they did that was great work, and just the synchronicity of this, 
any people write letters to the post office and say, I'm mad because I spent $2.50 for my secrets of how to win the lottery, and I never got it. Right. Well, they have to go, you know. They have to investigate that. And it turns out the same P.O. box was being used by a guy in Canada, your country. It's uh, not my country. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's, let's, let's okay. tread lightly. Right. I right. love Canada. We all do. Well, I do. Oh, Canada. Okay. Uh, the same guy was selling foreign lottery tickets to Americans, which is illegal. Yeah. Telling them they've won and it's saying, a... to make sure you can keep buying those lottery tickets, just sign this piece of paper I'm sending you, which was power of attorney over all their bank accounts. Perfect. And took these old people for the, every it, cent Actually, they had. the Canadians ripped off the Irish because that started out with the Irish lottery. Mm -hmm. It was terrible. I mean, they, it was... That our friends in Nigeria mm -hmm. made a cottage industry out of it. Mm. I am a prince. And they and brag about it for you. Yeah. My friend Noba was married to a Nigerian prince. Is that right? Yeah. His Is prince he, are probably at the federal file. <laughs> yeah. Those guys are real cool. Oh. Man, oh, man. I get these, like, once or twice a month. I used to get them every day. I'm dying of esophageal cancer, and I've picked you to handle my estate of umpteen millions of dollars. Yep. I go, oh, really? Yep. Tell you what, now we don't have to use banks anymore because of PayPal and Venmo. Sure. Uh, just Venmo me or PayPal me 500 bucks as a test, and we'll see how it goes. Never hear from them again, do you? <laughs> no, no. no, I don't. No, you don't hear from them again. <laughs> so, uh, so unless, you, you, unless you send them the 3500 or whatever they're looking for, some reasonable amount that seems right. Yeah. Uh, because if you Hand do that... Processing if, and if handling. You, if you do that, you'll get $15 million. Million, yeah. yeah. I love uh, that. So you got the second book that's in limbo. Yeah, it finally came out 27 years later in Masters of True Crime. So they went. So are the you slammer. kidding? From the Saint to the second book was 27 years? No, 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 no. no uh, the book that I was writing for Northwest Publishing when they went under after okay. they were raided, okay. that was considered one of their assets, so everything had to... Oh, so it, it stayed in the court. Yeah. And then I got then the rights I, back. Now I understand. Okay. Yeah, and then a couple yeah, of years I ago... Yeah, I didn't understand either. That's why I asked. Uh, how I wound up doing true crime, aside from Man Overboard, which is kind of a funny true crime. So you're going to ask the question I was about to ask? Yes, go, go ahead, ahead and ask it so people think this is How real. did you get into uh, true crime? By accident. Fell into it like a clean kid into a coal chute. Mm. Minding my own business. <laughs> it's bad oh, it's mining your own mining. business. Mining. No, no. If you're going into a coal chute. It's a mine. It's mining. Yes. yes. Better mining than miming. Thank you. Yeah. You know how to keep their mouth shut. Uh, in any event, I got a phone call from Charlotte Dial Breeze, my agent uh, of record. And Why is tapes. it that uh, all literary agents have middle names? So they don't get confused as to who they are. They can separate themselves from all the others. <clears throat> that includes the pictures on the post office wall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, she says, Burl, Kensington Publishing wants a true crime book about a case in Alaska. And I said, is there a check attached? <laughs> she said, yes. I said, I'm their guy, Charlotte. Trust me. So that worked out. I got the contract, went to Alaska, investigated the case. Horrifying story. That's Murder in the Family, my one New York Times so far bestseller. So tell us about that nice. story. Boy, that's Kirby D. Anthony, who is a psychopath from Idaho who raped and murdered his aunt and her two little girls. You get the dirt bike? No, he never got a dirt bike either. Maybe it was a dirt bag. Uh, it was just horrific. 
and totally traumatized Anchorage because such a heinous crime. Anchorage, by the way, is, is like the size of... Yeah, postage stamp. It's yeah, the exactly. biggest city, yeah. Yeah, I was there once. I walked downtown, saw the... Waved at the bear. And I saw the state yeah. house and a place to buy uh, sweaters. Yeah. Ta-da. I had to rent a car. I decided to go Why? visit these guys. <laughs> yeah. They were out, you know, like in the woods. Yeah. And I, the next thing I know, I'm 10 miles outside of town. <laughs> Smaller than Spokane. You actually had the rent-a-car. Yeah. The, the only one. The one. Yeah. There are Jamaicans there. Why is that? I don't know. I can't figure that out. Rastafarians at Anchorage. There's got to be a reason for that. Yeah. But it was kind of peculiar. It's a peculiar town. Uh, they're very nice there. Oh, very. There lots but of indoor golf. A lot of indoor everything. There. Yeah, because when it's 30 degrees below zero. When I was there, it was 75 degrees. Oh. So, I, I was on a cruise and, and went into the... Um, the bay, the glacier bay, yeah. and it was 75 that day too. Wow! And there were planes and helicopters flying over the ship. Is there and a criminal it, on that? Like it, almost like there was a criminal. Yeah. I, this was going on for a long time as we're in this bay and we're watching the calving of the uh, the glaciers. It's amazing, amazing. But the reason they all those flights were up there is they were shooting the boat. Because it was such a great day, ah, th their advertising agencies put everybody in the air. <laughs> that makes sense. And they sh they, they were, that and there were people in shorts on it. People in shorts. <laughs> <laughs> women in shorts. Yeah. Details the, at five. People yeah. in the swimming pool and, and the calving <coughs> of the people swimming with the calving of the um, ice of the ice. So That's they, great. So yeah, the pictures were were well taken care of. That's like the movie Body Double by Brian De Palma, with a vampire. Palma is coming out of his, uh, whatever, when the sun's going down, a light falls over, sets fire to the sun, gets directed to stop, stop, we've lost the sun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was great. A little element of humor there. Yes. Very small element. Speaking of elements, now, when you were writing books, were you still on the radio? Uh, let's see. Uh, 2000 came out. Yeah, I guess I was. Uh, I had moved to Walla Walla, Washington, where I hooked up with uh, Thomas D. Hodgins, who owns several radio stations in various markets and I would launch the stations for him like kind of a combination PD and air talent to get the thing rolling then he, I would do another one and another one and another one then he stopped well no he just did a few more I did uh, some investments with him where we bought stations and sold them does he still own stations oh yeah he still he he, he was he, working at KUJ radio in Walla Walla Twin Towers of Power there at KUJ yeah I got it yeah, they wouldn't let him say anything <laughs> He just played the hits. They wouldn't let the owner of the station. No, no, they wouldn't. He wasn't the owner then. He was oh, like I a see. high school kid oh, working there, God, doing middays or something. Got it. Wouldn't let him talk. Well, they hired me to be a program director because they were trying to sell it. They wanted me to make the station sell. Based like, on what was what was your skill set at that point? I knew how to play the hits. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that, that did well by That's me, too. Yeah. Did well by me. Yeah, just play people, the hits. People thought that was magic. Yeah, we're, time, temperature, play the hits. We Keep playing running. records in our room. Don't say stupid crap. Just, yeah. yeah, just play the hits, man. Yeah. No long jokes. Do, uh, do great no boomerangs. Do great top of the hour IDs, <laughs> and they think you're a big shot. Oh, yeah, and they sing your name, too, which is oh, a big Oh, sing your name boost. a lot. Yeah. Except Big Jagger told me to shut up. We had that on tape. This is Mick Jagger telling Burl Bear to shut up and play the hits. He was right. He did. Uh, so, yeah, I just left Walla Walla to come back to Seattle 
to play the hits, and there were no hits to be played. <laughs> <laughs> that did happen to all of us. Oh, it was the early 80s. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah but, but, I mean, Matthew was playing the hits in the, in the early 80s. Actually, uh, I went back for Breaker Radio Services. Offered me a great job. Great pay. Great disappointment. Tragic story. Your buddy that's got those stations in Walla Walla and the environs right yeah. now is going to be in very good shape. He is in good shape. But very, very good shape as the uh, bankruptcies start to peel. Mm. Because he'll be able to, he's, he's liquid. They're not. And yeah. he'll get more radio stations. But he's got to be careful not to become them. too big. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's been very wise. Seems like he has been. If he still owns radio stations today and he's an independent, good for him. Well, I tried to convince my dad to buy that station when I was in high school. He said, Dad, it's only $75,000. Oh, stop. <laughs> I said, it's like having a license to print money locally. <laughs> because in a small market or medium market, commercials are news. Pretty soon there's going to be iHeart uh, radio stations and cumulus stations for $75,000. Yeah, yeah. And, and that'll and be less, overpriced. And less. <laughs> and less. Remember, what was it? Uh, Inter what's it called? Intercom? Something like that? Yeah, Intercom. They were saying that the local program directors and music directors have total say over what gets... <laughs> what, what, their new... Uh, well, they just bought CBS. And uh, the first thing that they're doing is they're cutting talent like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. Like there's zero tomorrow. I mean, the Kevin and Bean show has been gutted. That's a show locally here in L.A. And it's down to pretty much Kevin and Bean. <laughs> Kevin and... Yeah, the, the way it started. <laughs> well, uh, they, similar when they bought... Uh, KJR. 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 Uh, I got called by the PD and said, Burrow, we want you to do the uh, your old shift. Play the same old songs that you did back in 1980. Ah, same old shift. Yeah, same, same old shift. You shifty I Jews, we want you on there. And I said, okay. The corporate said, why? We have a guy in New Jersey who can lay down the voice tracks. Oh, jeez. <laughs> anyway. There's one thing, coming up in radio, and I, I've told Matt this night, we haven't talked about it on the air, but... Uh, those of us that grew up in radio on the East Coast paid zero attention to the Pacific Northwest. We knew what the stations were, but we didn't pay attention to them. Uh, didn't get air checks from out there, you know, and we didn't call the station coupler. We never heard the stations. Likewise for us in Buffalo. Damn right. By, by the way, <laughs> I could talk to you about Buffalo, and, and you're wrong, because every, everybody <laughs> no, was... No, I'm not wrong. We, you, know, you didn't. Do we care about Buffalo? Well, you should have. Joey Reynolds was there. I believe we were a, a larger ranked market than Buffalo. You uh, Well, at, yes. that, at that point yeah. in time, you were. Yeah. And, but and there was a time when Buffalo was definitely uh, way up there. Buffalo, what, back in the 1800s? Yeah, yeah when they had their no. picture was yeah. on a no, and, 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 and no disrespect to Joey Reynolds, but what station hasn't Joey Reynolds been on? You got correct. Yeah, you name a call letter. He says, I worked that room. He, he did. He worked everywhere. Got yeah. fired everywhere. Yeah. Um, but that's Joey. But they, but Rod Roddy went through there. Um, uh, Joey. Um, and many more. Dick Piondi went through there. He went. Did he was the pubic hair joke? Was that him? Dick yeah. Piondi's the one that's not gay. The one. Yeah, Which the means one. he is. The one just shocking America. Out of the last three. Out of the days. last three that I mentioned, yeah. yeah <laughs> Which three. one is not gay? <laughs> yeah. One of these things doesn't belong. <laughs> Back then, this was Rod before he used to wear those uh, silly coats, and he was a leather man. Ooh, yeah. yeah. That's before the uh, village people. That's correct. <laughs> Rod could have uh, joined, joined up the band. Um... But, so no, then. No, but, uh, but, but, but hang on. We, I ended up going to Vancouver. Yeah. 
in a, in a, a cross Canada trip because at that point I knew everybody and I knew somebody in every city. Because once you're in radio and everybody disperses quickly, they're in every city. <laughs> I'm not a floater. <laughs> yeah. So I made my way across Canada staying with former jocks I worked with. And I ended up uh, uh, in um, Richard Money, was a morning man for us at one point. And he lived in um, uh, Chilliwack. And I stayed in Chilliwack. He used to work at the... You chilled in Chilliwack. I did. He chilled, yeah. But I was able at that point to do a little DXing and get Seattle. Mm. And that's when it I was turned on to... Uh, <laughs> I was getting Seattle and Portland. And I go, man. It's a whole different we, world. How, how did we miss this? Well, what it was is uh, what they used to call MOR, middle of the road radio personalities playing rock and roll music. Right. So the music was for the younger demo. The, uh, but the jocks were all great. Yeah. Not just good. Great. great. And I went back with all this tape because I taped. I was taping like a lunatic. Yeah. And I have that tape somewhere, all, all of them. And I took it back to the guys. I go, you got to hear all this stuff. And everybody was, my God. How did they get away with that? No, no, really. You know, and, and then there was the, you know, he's a, he's a Lou Jack ripoff. You know, we, we, we spotted him. Yeah, <laughs> I spotted him immediately. Well, yeah. uh, the thing is, what it was like in those days to even listen, let alone be on the air, was you would pull your car into the driveway and you wouldn't turn the radio off. You used to be sitting in your driveway with the engine running because you didn't want to miss... Well, that's how you program a radio station because if the audience thinks that they're missing something when they leave, they're going to come back. That's right. And the same party's still going. That's how it's done. That's, that's Shh, we don't tell people the secrets. So, so, but back to you. You were doing that. Yeah. You became a master of that in the Pacific oh, Northwest. <laughs> if, even Matt says, yeah, maybe. Nah, it's okay. So, so uh, but at the same time, you're writing these books. Um, not exactly. Okay. I was the disc jockey first, went to Walla Walla, where we did the thing with the radio stations, mm -hmm. came back to do Breaker radio, service, uh, radio Services, and... I was working on my first book at that time while I was doing Breaker Radio Service. Now, let me ask you this. When did you become a communist? I've never been a communist, actually. You... <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't do it. But... <laughs> Have you ever been? <laughs> All right. uh, or are you now? Are you Rational. Now? <laughs> uh, What's after communist, Frank? Fascist. What? Oh, you mean, what was the big... Fear factor after communism? Well, those hippie radicals. No, 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 no. That I know. But if you're a communist and you want to move up, there's no place to go. There's no place to go? Except capitalism. Oh. Okay. You merge the two. So you come back around. Yeah. See, so you have to make a synthesis. You become a crime writer. All right. So when did you become, uh, in your version, almost a communist? <laughs> well, it's hereditary. Uh, is a gene that's passed by the Ashkenazi Jews that uh, makes them inherently liberal because they read the Torah. I'm half Ashkenazi. Yeah, you know, that's that my problem? That's the problem. You read the Torah. I should stop at that. Yeah, story. yeah. Just go for the rituals and ceremonies and forget the context. <laughs> makes life hey, a lot I show easier. up for the food, and you know that. Yeah, stomach juice. I'm not wrong. <laughs> Mark C.G. Boyer, right there for the food. Uh, yeah. yeah, my sister's... If you could see this room, ladies and gentlemen, there are two svelte... And th well, counting Matt, three svelte, thin humans, and two well-fed. I've <laughs> taken off of the Hebraic. I've taken off thirty-five pounds. Where? Yes, we noticed. <laughs> Thanks, bro. No, no. I mean, where did you take it off? Uh, in Encino. Ah. I, I put it back on when I come here. Oh, that's good. No, you do look uh, healthier. I'm, I am healthier. You're not bleeding internally anymore, are you? I hope not. No, thank God. No. 
I didn't want to lose another one, you know. Just uh, please. Don't bad, even start bad with, with Don't start with me. Please. I won't. Believe me. No. No. We'll start with Frank. <laughs> So, you know, don't start with Frank either. No, I won't. He's your ride. <laughs> so you, you met your second book, which didn't get finished 27 years. You did something uh, after Man Overboard. What was next? Maverick. Come to think of it. Uh, with uh, Jody Foster. Jody Foster. Uh, James, James Garner. Garner Mel Gibson. Mel, the Jew hater Gibson. Oh, he's uh, not really. He's not a Jew. Oh, come on. He's a for you know, scotch Jew hater. You give a guy a couple of scotches. And he told me that. And a, and a car. Uh-huh. And the Pacific Coast Highway. Uh-huh. And a bar mitzvah. And anything can happen. That's where he got drunk, was it his, uh, son's, uh, his friend's son's bar mitzvah. Yeah. And, and that's why he shot him? He told me. He said, Mel said to me, Burl, I can't drink. Because if I drink, I become the biggest asshole you ever met in your entire life. You, people would hate me. So I can't drink. It would destroy my career. And then? And then he says, yeah, you want to go get a couple of beers? No, he didn't say that. No, he made me espresso. We talked about so it. So Maverick, t- tell us a little bit about uh, Maverick. That was great I, I know fun. Maverick from the TV show. So, uh, But what did you learn about Maverick that the, the boy, TV my second show favorite. It was my favorite show before I found the scene. Okay. That 77 Censorship. All those Warner Brothers spinoff, yep. Surfside 6, yep. Bourbon Street Beat, ABC show. Hawaii and I. Yeah. <laughs> All those. Uh, Garner McKay. Yes. Who, uh, what's the other guy? <laughs> the, the guy who took over from him. I have no idea. Uh, okay. Uh, my wife, mind went blank. Hey, remember when Clint Eastwood walked out because uh, in contract dispute like Garner did, they replaced with Ty Harden, Bronco Lane? Yes. Yeah. That brings back a lot of happy memories. That, that didn't hurt Clint <laughs> that badly. No. No, yeah. well, you know, he went on vacation to Italy. <laughs> yeah, for about then, 10 years. And then what happened? Yeah. And then a legend was uh, yeah. hatched. Yeah. You bet. You bet. But tell us about Maverick. What What don't we know that we... I mean, I'm a TV show Maverick guy, so that's what I know. What, yeah. do, you, what do you know? Well, the day I arrived at the uh, stage, sound stage, I was greeted uh, with the phrase, welcome to the most enjoyable and happiest set on the lot. You don't want to go across the street to where Warren Beatty's filming The Affair. <laughs> Just everyone's miserable. Everyone was having fun, and it was the day they were filming the riverboat gambling scene where the people on the riverboat are all old cowboy stars. Now, did you, did you write this movie? No. Uh, I wrote a book called Maverick, The Making of the Movie and the Complete Guide to the Television Series. Oh, listen to you. Okay. Yeah. So you would you, then you, then you would you know you're you're out there as an expert on Maverick. Yeah, that's how so I wound I, up on Good Morning I, America. So I'm waiting to hear about Maverick. Tell us about Maverick. Well, Maverick didn't always plan to be a humorous show, uh, but Roy Huggins, who created it, always wanted to do a western where the woman runs up to him and says, "They're robbing the bank." He goes, "Yeah, well, why don't you go call the sheriff? You know, <laughs> leave me out of this." Uh, but he'd reluctantly wind up being heroic for some reason or other, or he, outsmarting he, the people. But he was a poker player. Yeah, he didn't consider that gambling, however. Gamblers die broke, said Brett Maverick. Uh, poker's a game of skill, as, uh, as yep. Matt and uh, what's his name over there in yeah, the corner? We'll tell uh, you. Yeah, the, uh, the schmuck in the corner. Yeah, the schmuck in the corner. That's the name of the new gambling hall. <laughs> schmuck, in the cor- <laughs> schmuck in the corner. All the schmucks. <laughs> and all the schmucks come to this place. Uh, so uh, 
based on the fact that I'd done the big book on the saint, they thought I'd be a good person to do it. But it kept getting delayed because there was no one sitting in the chair at uh, Warner's who could sign the contract. They didn't have a, what do you call it? Uh, Legal. Yeah, a human being. Well, it's a unit manager. Yeah, uh, for what's called Consumer Products Division. Okay. And size all the licensing deals. They didn't have one yet at that point. They were, you know, between them. Finally, a guy steps in. He has the job. He signs the contract, and I immediately fly down to L.A. And I get there. you got James Drury. You've got Sugarfoot. You've got uh, guys with a Virginian. Every cowboy show from when you were young and virile was there. Uh, in fact, Dub Taylor... Oh, my God. Dub Taylor has, what, third, like, second or third billing? That was one, of the great, just, one of the great character actors of all time. And he's in, you know, one very important scene. Yep. And yet his billing in that film, I think, is right after James Garner and Mel Gibson. I don't know how he finagled that. Good agent. Yeah. Undoubtedly. So did you get to meet Jody? Oh, of course. Jody's a sweetheart. About this tall. Yeah, tiny little thing. Yeah. And uh, she recorded some stuff for my daughter, which was nice during one of the breaks. And Mel did for Jordan. Jordan answers the phone. He goes, it's all pre-recorded. He goes, Jordan, this is Mel Gibson. I know your dad told you I was a nice guy, but he's wrong. <laughs> I'm a complete ass. <laughs> he, was really, he was nice. He really was. We had a lot of fun. I heard a, I heard a story that uh, Mel and Jody were a tad randy. Uh, yeah. With their uh, with their jokes and humor, yeah, they they but Ted Randy. Ted, remember Ted Randy? He was the uh, opening act for Jethro Tull at the Apollo. <laughs> Don't talk to me about Jethro Tull's opening acts. Oh yeah, bring the the Hoople. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, the nice one of the many nice things about doing a film with Richard Donner is he lets you kind of go crazy, and uh, then you have to loop all the dialogue afterwards. But in the process, we discovered something. That, I mean, Mel and I and, and Garner looking over the script, we caught a giant continuity error that would have blown the whole secrets of the film out like in the second act. And But the director never noticed it. You know, you wonder how, you know, how things can Forest slip for by. The trees. So what was it? It uh, had to do with who James Garner was. But his, you know his character, which is a secret reveal at the end. I'll Daddy. tell you, <laughs> Daddy. Yeah, he's Pappy Maverick. He's Beauregard. As he pulls the gun on Brett and goes, you know, well, my old Pappy would say, I never said any such thing. You know, you're always making up these stories about me. No, no, no. You know, that was a yeah. So they, we had they had to excise that from the earlier in the movie. Yeah, you did want to give that away early on. Well, you know, I, there was a giveaway uh, during one of the scenes where they go to rescue Jody, mm -hmm. and they both shoot the same. Yeah, and she looks at them in the bathtub at the end and says, oh, there's other oh, similarities. Well, when, when they were making the movie, did they know how to use the microphone? No. They didn't. <laughs> <laughs> they, I did no, see uh, Mel do some great acting, even though it's a lighthearted comedy. James Gardner was in such horrible pain in the scene where they're walking their horses up up where the guys had robbed the wagon train. Every time they'd stop the scene, he'd almost collapse. It's as long as the camera, you know, the film was rolling, the pain was gone. Mm -hmm. But the minute 
you know, the cut. Where, where it's called the, being where, a pro. Yeah. Where, where was the pain? His knees. He had, he had horrible, horrible knees. So I would run yeah, out I there. I got mine shot up yesterday. Mm, yeah. yeah, I get my back done, too. My back's going on uh, being done on Monday and Tuesday. It's a piece of cake. Works great for about four months. Good. I need it for four yeah. months. Uh, anyway, so I would go out there, and this blew my mind, because here's James Gardner, you know, the original Brett Maverick, leaning on me as I carry him over to a chair to sit down, and I rub his knees so he can stand back up again. Oh, he says, don't tell Mel that I'm in pain. He says, I don't want, you know, uh, them to stop everything for me. He might cast me in Apocalypto. Yeah, and uh, I said, okay, don't worry. The minute I got Mel, I went, Mel. Ah. <laughs> I said, yeah, I told him, and he goes, Okay, Pearl. He says, uh, "Don't tell secrets to a Seattle yeah. guest Uh He says, "You want to see Mel Gibson do some acting, Burl?" And I said, "I sure would, Mel." He goes, "Watch this," and he threw a temper tantrum like something out of a Hollywood movie. I'll be in my trailer. We don't need this man. And just stormed off and winked at me, and that was it. That's funny. Yeah, he was great. Real nice. Talk to us about uh, uh, Broken Doll. Oh, sad, depressing story. But a great true crime book <laughs> by a brilliant author. Uh, Seven-year-old Roxanne Dahl was kidnapped out of her bed in her home in the middle of the night, raped and murdered. Parents didn't know this had happened because, you know, it's the middle of the night. Not until the next morning when, where's Roxy? Uh, wasn't the first time this guy had done something uh, inappropriate, but never that ex extreme. Uh... And he comes to, back to the home after he's raped and murdered the daughter, comes back to the parents' house and goes camping with the father. No good. Yeah, so where is the killer out camping with the father? I mean, this is really bizarre stuff. So and the father's out camping when the daughter was discovered? Uh, no, the, uh, when they discovered the girl was missing. The guy who would, you know, they didn't know she was dead. Oh, I understand that. Yeah. So she's missing, dad goes out for a, a fish. Well, well, she's she not, you don't know she's missing. missing. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, he leaves like at 5 in the morning to go up, you know, for the fishing. Meanwhile, and, and fishing buddies got the daughter somewhere. Yeah, murdered dead. already, yeah. yeah. And interesting, I, when you go take like, a look at these cases that have, were resolved years ago, you can see things that at the time were too close for people to notice. One of the things the perpetrator did is called the act of undoing he didn't want to have done He didn't want to do it. He even tried to stop himself from doing it because he knew he was going to. He tried to get someone to go back with him when he went back to the house. And he finally got someone to go, but that guy passed out before they got there. <laughs> so, I mean, he really worked hard, you know. Uh, he shaved off his mustache. He put his van up for sale. All things to distance himself from what he had just done, which he didn't want to do, but did anyway. How'd they find this guy? Uh, without too much difficulty. Okay. Uh, the big question was, was he going to get the death penalty or not? And there was a lot of mitigating circumstances. There is no happy, healthy person in this in this story. The guy who did this... Or is there a happy, healthy person in any murder story? The <clears throat> prosecutors, probably, or the... Uh, yeah, you know, no, no, of course. They're but, doing but, their job. Right. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about on the side of the murder, murder... No. ...family. No, no, not at all. This right. Richard Matthew Clark was one of five kids who were horribly beaten and abused by the father. The mother's a wonderful alcoholic. She dies in a car accident. The kids are split up. The father used to make the uh, uh, Richard eat a cigar, not smoke him, eat him as punishment. 
Which I'm surprised didn't kill the this kid. Is, this is camping dad? Uh, camping guy's dad, yeah. yeah. Beat the kid horribly and mercilessly. When mother dies, they split the kids up. They send him to his aunt, who lived there in Everett, Washington. And he was so walled off, he couldn't even grieve over the death of his mother. Finally, he feels comfortable enough to break down and cry about the death of his mother. He's 14, and hugs his aunt, and the aunt pushes him away and says, You can't be my son. I already have one. And oh, so things are going just, just one thing after that. Yeah, and I, okay. Bob Dylan would say, The walls came down all the way to hell. Oh, yeah. There was never a day from that day forward that he wasn't either numb from alcohol or some other drug and feeling of absolute powerlessness. And he is what they call a situational child molester. So he's not a pedophile. Not a pedophile. No, in so fact, he, he was having sex with the Roxanne doll's uh, grandmother. So explain that wow. to us, hmm? the situational. Situational child molester is not about sex. As who, it, who would not understand what that means? That it's because of the situation. Yeah. I mean, who would not understand what that means? <laughs> <laughs> well, someone in our audience. <laughs> And it's not about sex, it's about power. <clears throat> and they are actually the easy, easier to rehabilitate than a burglar. Because once they, oh, that's what I'm doing? Oh, gee, I could have had a V8, you know. Uh, oh, but but the, all they reference. did with him is they put him in Snohomish County Jail for a year. He's doing 1967 references. Mm -hmm. yeah. Put him in uh, Snohomish County Jail for a year, no therapy, no nothing. And they let him out, and he goes right back to doing what he did before. And so this time worse. And... Uh, it was horrible, just really, really horrible. What was the worst? What was the worst that he did? Well, what I thought was the worst is when the body is found. It's found by these other kids, and it had been a while. And the parents wanted the picture in the book of their daughter's decomposing body as in, it was In found. your book? Yeah, they wanted it. Now, usually, families aren't that cooperative. So did you put the picture in the yeah, book? Yeah, they wanted it. They said, we want the people who read this book to know absolutely Yes, Mark, everything. we have the picture here, yes. <laughs> I'm asking the questions for the audience <laughs> so I can sell the friggin' book. What book? <sighs> Broken Doll. God help us. And it says right on the cover, and I had this has caused me nothing but grief. It says, Broken Doll. And it says, A Parent's Worst Nightmare, Burl Bearer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was great. Because it's true. <laughs> In fact, they had to go back to court on the, on the sentencing years later again. It just kept coming up. Things would get screwed up. And, well, do we sentence him to death? Maybe part, dead part of the time, life prison part of the other part. And they kept going back and forth and back and forth. All, all these books that you've written, which is your favorite? Wow, it's different genres. I mean, really, because I don't just write true crime. I just don't write mysteries. I okay, just don't write pop culture. Yeah, give us the your 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 in each genre. Okay, in the true crime genre, my New York Times bestseller, "Murder in the Family," is one of my favorites. It's a tragic story, but I like the way it moves. Tell us about it. That's the one Kirby D. Anthony who raped and murdered his aunt and killed the two little kids, right. and then made a run for the border. Timing on this is just like a TV movie. He's got a one-ton flatbed. He's racing for the Canadian border from Alaska. The cops don't find out about this until he's been gone about six hours. So they call down to the border and say, he's got to stop that, uh, you know, oh, he just passed through here. He's in the no-man's land between the two, you know. Yeah. And uh, so they call the next one, 
and he just as Kirby Anthony pulls up to the window, the guy answers the phone, and they tell him, the guy's this, you know, suspect in triple homicide. Well, we don't want him coming in again. <laughs> and they turned him around, sent him back, and didn't arrest him on suspicion of homicides. They arrested him because he had a joint in the ashtray. Stop it. That was, because that why he didn't know what, you know, that's what they got him on, having a joint in the so ashtray. So if that joint wasn't in the ashtray, what would the move have been? That probably would have been a faulty uh, light on his driver's license. You know, the, the, whatever you call the thing, license plate. And he didn't get upset when they mentioned that he raped and murdered little kids. But he also had murdered a transsexual prostitute when he found out that she was a he. And that, when they mentioned that he had been with the, uh, the transsexual, he became just outraged. You could mention killing kids, you know, and didn't phase him. But I don't want anybody thinking I slept with a man. That's right. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Uh, it wasn't the first. It also had done some weird stuff in Idaho as well. Uh, he's a bit of model prisoner, however. There you go. He'll be serving many life sentences. Pick another genre. Uh, pop culture. Okay. Okay. Who did Maverick? Did The Saint? Favorite. Maverick attending the movie stuff was great fun, but The Saint was you know like a lifelong. Passion. Yeah. And I got to do the novelization of the screenplay, and I got to write an original Saint novel. And I've written a second original Saint novel. It hasn't come out yet. And uh, great fun. Uh, I was always brought in along with uh, Ian Dickerson to consult on Saint projects, to go over the uh, screenplays, etc., and say, no, this is BS, or no, this is... That's why the Kilmer thing was so weird. Because they'd, they'd ask us, and we'd tell them... And didn't listen. Didn't listen, no. <laughs> It's not cinematic enough, Burl. <laughs> yeah, what was they, you know, what the, when I did the book, I wanted to change some stuff from the movie, which they let me do because you can fill plot holes in a book. You have to. In a movie, you can have plot holes and no one cares. You just got to sail by. How do you get there? <laughs> you know, how do you get inside that building? Uh, but in the film, you have to, you know, fill those things. Which, another, uh, pick another shot. Uh, well, Stealth was in there, too. The movie Stealth with the Giant Plane, and was it Jamie Foxx and uh, what's her name? Yeah, yeah, the autumn, the autonomous uh, yeah. nuclear bomber. Yeah, autonomous bomber. That was opening act for Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, today, what right now, coming? you have uh, more power at your fingertips than entire right generations that came uh, before. Astonishing story of the greatest gentleman jewel thief in the history of America who never went to prison. Never got caught, never had to stand trial. And his son, who did get caught, did have to stand trial and kind of went off the rails in criminality and then came this back. This is the story of... Uh, Punch. I, I know that, and I know I'm, I'm incredibly close to that story, So, but the audience isn't. So, but this is about um, the guy that really laid out the smash-and-grab genre. Yeah. And uh, sits on a beach somewhere in some foreign country, just counting his money. Never been caught. Eighty some odd years old, and and uh... unfortunately, well, I'll tell you what I think. This is my opinion. He got robbed many times uh, by people, mm -hmm. especially when he got older. Uh, last time he was robbed, he was lucky to be alive. They took everything: his rare art, his uh, you know antiques, fortune, and stuff. But then suddenly he leaves New York, goes to Yugoslavia. Goes to Europe. Strange, interesting, brilliant heist. You <laughs> Brilliant heist. And one of the, the problems that our, our pal Punch faces is that 
these techniques that he, the very cinematic sort of techniques, like the Italian job of the cars, I mean, all that kind of stuff, all his tricks, or his father's tricks, people impersonate that style. They study that style, go, wow, this really works. And either they'll do it wrong and get caught, or they'll do it right and everyone raves about it. But he was being accused of having done them. Did he help? I can't say. <laughs> oh, you don't know. But but he would uh, he would, from what I understand, uh, when he set up a heist, it was like a military project. Yeah. It wasn't just uh, you walk in and smash the. No, they rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. As he said on the air one day, here is it twenty seven seconds. Mm -hmm. Okay, in not twenty seven seconds. Oh, and he corrected a few things. That, you know, you always hear about this kid that went and stole all the millions of dollars with a baseball cap. Mm -hmm wasn't wearing a baseball cap. Mm. He was wearing a, a motorcycle helmet. That's the truth, as opposed to what you read in the paper. Uh, there was another one like that. Where, oh, where, oh, where they go into the hotel with the machine guns, go... They didn't have any machine guns. It was a pistol that fired five shots. <laughs> How does he know these things? These guys didn't carry weapons, correct? No, they never did, because uh, that was the golden rule. No one gets hurt. Even in the smash and grabs later when he was using guns, the guns were loaded with blanks. And if the glass crashed, his job was to make sure that he protected the customers from not being injured. So they'd have 27 seconds of great excitement to tell their grandkids about. I guess, yeah. And, that, well, that would and be then it. all the stuff would get broken up, busted up, and sold. And well, another thing they had backwards, they were always saying they thought the uh, diamonds and stuff was being shipped out of America to Europe to use to support the uh, Bosnian whatever. Uh, and now he says nothing leaves New York. Everything flows to New York. That's where it all is. That's where I'll get you. And it ends up on 47th Street, the Diamond District. That's right. And that's, they sell it again. That's right. Or numerous they times. Or, or they rob it again. Yeah. And everyone's happy except the insurance company. Well, the insurance company, and sometimes some of the people that work there are happy. Yeah. You know, as, as it says... That's going to be a fascinating book, Stealing Manhattan's coming... Coming soon. Soon, yeah. It's got to finish it. <laughs> I keep getting more information all the time. It's astonishing. More well, stuff. Well, the more stuff I know that you got is crazy. Yeah. It's going to be a good book. Yep. And, and it's going to be a good movie and a good TV series, but... Uh, good comic book, too? Oh, that, too. Well, graphic novel. Graphic least. novel. I like things that are graphic, man. <laughs> Apparently. So so we've we've covered a lot of Burl Bears. Yeah. And, and I'm happy that we did. And, yeah. uh, Betrayal in Blue with uh, Ken Urell. Well, uh, that, that, talk about that book. We have a, a couple of minutes because this one's really fascinating. Do you read the book? I've, I've read it six times. <laughs> I've read the book. Go ahead. Well, uh, Ken Urell, the second most dirty cop in the history of the NYPD, in contemporary terms anyway. He and Michael Dowd were making 13 grand a year as cops, making eight grand a week, providing protection for the Dominican drug cartel. Uh, they finally all got busted, but not in New York, not by the NYPD, who knew what they were doing. But let them do it because they didn't want a scandal. <laughs> <laughs> what year was this? Uh, the, uh, 80s, 90s. Anyway, so uh, Ken Urell kept his memoirs, sold the uh, movie rights to Sony, kept the literary rights, and I wound up doing the book with there Frank C. Gerardo and, uh, and Ken Urell. And everything's available on Amazon. Barnes & Noble, Libras. Just type in Burl Bearer, B-A-R-E-R. Burl, thanks a lot. Hey, my pleasure. Thank I'll you for be on the show us. again next week. I hope you are. <laughs> but I have to ask one more question. Yeah. What's next? Hey, it's Magic Matt Allen and the Demons of Decadence, live from the Lighten Up Lounge on OutlawRadioLive.com.